0: Welcome to The Gold Report, one set of facts, true today, true tomorrow. Please share and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, April Moss, and we have a lot to discuss, including the lawsuit that America's frontline doctors is bringing against the California Medical Board. Very interesting First Amendment case.
1: And that's right, because the court's decision will actually set a precedent for doctors nationwide and affect the longstanding sacred patient-doctor relationship. So this isn't just about AFLDS's fight, but it's really on behalf of all doctors nationwide. Yeah. Um, and later in the show, we'll be joined by Dinesh D'Souza, whose recent film, 2000 Mules, earned $300,000 on the first day of its release, which made it the second highest grossing documentary to date in 2022. And according to executive producer Salem Media, it grows $10 million in revenue in the first two weeks of independent and streaming release with over 1 million viewers. Salem said that its net revenue makes it the most profitable political documentary in a decade. And this filmmaker now has released a new uh, film called Police State And that exposes the witch hunt that the deep state has against President Donald J. Trump and how they're coming after every single American. Now, Dr. Gold, I know that you're no stranger to witch hunts. Please explain the case against the California Medical Board.
0: Yes. So I have really been attacked by various levels of the government. The latest round is a battle that I'm having with the California Medical Board. So let me start somewhat at the beginning. I have been licensed as a physician and surgeon in California since... I guess it's about 20, 25 years. It's been a long time. And in all of that time working in many different emergency departments and, you know, a lot of inner city underserved areas, I've never had any problem whatsoever, never had a single complaint, never had a malpractice suit filed. I mean, it's pretty much an extraordinary record. I can't say that most physicians have such a clean record as I did. I'm saying that not to brag. I'm saying that, that I am considered one of the best doctors in California based on these objective numbers. And yet the California Medical Board is literally trying to take away my medical license for political speech. As everybody knows, I was at present at the Capitol on January 6th, and I was overcharged like many people were with, in my case, a 20-year felony. Because of that, I opted rationally, I think, to take a misdemeanor plea. This was for a charge called entering and remaining, otherwise known as trespass. It was actually just a trespassing charge. So I have been convicted through the plea of a misdemeanor trespass conviction. You might say, what does this have to do with the practice of medicine? That would be a logical question. The California Medical Board is trying to make the case that a misdemeanor trespass is somehow substantially related to the practice of medicine, which on its face is ludicrous. And if you don't want to just use common sense to say it's ludicrous... We've done research. We've done a deep dive into the California Medical Board, and in its 147-year history, they've never gone after any licensee um, for a misdemeanor trespass. It's very, very rare to go after anyone who has a misdemeanor conviction. There was a case I I think it was around 1990 or sometime in the 90s where a doctor had been convicted, I think, of three misdemeanors, and on the third misdemeanor, um, he he like. I think was drunk driving and maybe got into a bit of a verbal altercation with the police officer. That case is one of the only misdemeanor cases we've ever seen the California Board go after a physician. And I would argue that if you're repeatedly driving drunk, getting into altercations with officers, you could at least make the case that it's not compatible with being, you know, an esteemed member of of, of the physician society. Um, but it's very uncommon for the California Medical Board to go after anyone with a misdemeanor. And certainly it's never happened for a trespass charge. So we know what this is about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if you could put it into context for people too, what are the types of things that would put somebody under scrutiny from the medical board? Right. Things right. that they would do with patients that are inappropriate. What are some other things right. where this has no standing whatsoever? Exactly.
0: That's that's. Ex- thank you for the question. That's exactly the right question to ask. The California Medical Board is charged with protecting the public safety um, and specifically to make sure that doctors are doing actions consistent with good practice of medicine. So the types of areas they get involved, and they're limited by law as to what they can intervene in. For example, they can't get involved in every single um, um conviction that a person might have. I mean, there's a lot of things that people can get into trouble with that have nothing to do with the practice of medicine. So we don't want petty bureaucrats, small bureaucrats to be able to also weigh in and take away someone's livelihood based on something that has nothing to do with the practice of medicine. Very typically, they're involved in three areas. um, They'll reprimand or sanction a physician for abuse of a patient, typically sexual abuse of a patient. That's kind of one. Number two is gross incompetence, such as showing up drunk in the operating room, obviously, or drunk when you come to work. And the third category would be healthcare fraud, like a billing fraud, like you know, um, some kind of insurance scheme where you built some money out of a system. Those are the three areas where the California Medical Board is most active. And that is where we really want them to be, right? We want them to be looking at things that have to do with the practice of medicine to keep patients safe. Um, and I just want to say that another aspect of our lawsuit is where was the California Medical Board in terms of protecting public safety when it came to its recommendations on early treatment? We know that early treatment saved lives. Why was the California Medical Board, which is tasked with, you know, improving the public health by, you know, various ways, why were they against early treatment for patients? So we've brought all of these things up. Not only is the California Medical Board going after people like myself for things that have nothing to do with practice of medicine, therefore they are exceeding the regulatory scope, they're also not doing their main job which is to keep the public safe. You know, I mean, tens of thousands of Californians really died or were severely harmed by not having access to early treatment. So we bring all this up in the lawsuit.
1: And also, if you could, you know, I was reading through the press release that America's Frontline Doctors put out recently. And in the press release, you know, it seems to me like this lawsuit also – it would affect the the patient relationship, the patient-doctor relationship. Can you explain that a little bit?
0: Right. So let's just go think in your own life. You know, one of the few people's people are brutally honest with are, is your doctor. You have a question. I mean, people don't even want to say how much they weigh, for example, but they'll they'll disclose it to their doctor. And, you know, these personal stories, you know, I've had lots of personal stories where, you know, a person will, you know, they'll tell me that they're having an extramarital affair because they know that it impacts something that I'm I'm discovering in in that. In that moment. And we do all that because we have such a trust for doctors and that doctor-patient relationship. We know that the doctor's obligated by law not to reveal the things that we talk about and we trust them with that, with that. And it's just I, you know, it's one of the oldest privileges that exists, and it's one of the most trusted privileges that exist in our mm-hmm. in, in human in human history. So when you start threatening a physician's livelihood based upon things she says she's not going to be all that direct with you. I mean, most doctors cannot be expected, should not be expected to choose between you, the patient, and paying their rent or their mortgage. It's not a fair choice. So so that's what I mean. If the California Medical Board can come after me for the words that I said on January 6th, I don't think you've got much hope for having a, a robust doctor-patient conversation.
1: So Dr. Gold, that was just one example, but tell me about the other examples that you've had in your life where... The federal government has come after you, not just in this instance, but in others.
0: Yeah, the federal government is absolutely out of control. I'll give you a couple more examples. The federal government, though, the state government, and as we just talked about, you know, regulators in the state. So another example of how the federal government came after me personally is Congress uh, tried to to charge me with um, providing early treatment medicines for patients, kind of practicing medicine. Um, through AFLDS which, and, and taking money from people and it was 100% false, 100% bogus. But I had to live with that witch hunt for about, I think about 16 months, you know, Congress investigating me personally. Um, I've been uh, debanked by a couple of banks and a very fun like little side story that you'll probably uh, haven't heard elsewhere was when I applied for my Florida medical license, because I knew how much California was persecuting me, The federal, the FBI Los Angeles office actually told Florida that I had been charged with treason. I have that in writing, treason. So what's fascinating about that is the FBI Los Angeles office correctly referenced the statute of the misdemeanor plea that I took for trespass. But right next to the correct statute number, they put the incorrect words, treason
1: yeah, that's so not at all what you what
0: it's what, had nothing yeah. to do, no, not at all. but it also meant that there that a human being had to have gone in and made mm-hmm. that change. It just wasn't possible that the you know machine database just spit that out with the correct, um, USC 1752, I think, was the statute I was took the misdemeanor trespass it would never be associated with the word treason. So that was actually, obviously, somebody at the FBI Los Angeles office did that. It was crazy, and I had to kind of fight that and clear that up. So there's tons of examples. You know, of course, I was arrested by a huge SWAT team, just like in Dinesh mm-hmm. D'Souza's movie. So I'm so glad that um, there is this political filmmaker who puts these stories out in a way that we can all see what's coming to us, you know, SWAT teams, arrest, federal government—you know, heavy-handedness, government tyranny.
1: Dr. Gold, there was a congressional hearing that happened this week. Tell me a little bit about that. I know Matt Gates was very vocal uh, about our civil liberties. Right. So um,
0: this was a subcommittee hearing, a subcommittee of the Judiciary Committee, and uh, Chairman Andy Biggs was chairing. Uh, Matt Gates is on that committee. Representative Tiffany, Representative Nells, Representative—I'm um, forgetting from Florida—the district uh lawn lady and Lay no with an L. Well, am okay. so sorry <laughs> anyway so we um they held this committee hearing to discuss the abuses by the bop of prisoners including the j6 prisoners so we know that j6 prisoners and also other prisoners are being held in solitary which i can tell you from firsthand experience and my professional experience as a doctor it is horrific it's inhumane should not be used. We have tons and tons of medical evidence that solitary confinement is unbelievably harmful to human beings. And the prison system has a lot of evidence that it doesn't actually work and do anything for the system, for the, for the prisoner, for the, for the um, it's guards. it's form of abuse. It's an absolute form of abuse. Mm-hmm. It violates, I think, cruel and unusual punishment or Eighth Amendment rights. But again, speaking as a doctor, there, there, It is very, very abusive to put human beings in isolation. So having empathy and needing to keep a safe prison environment is an important goal as well. So for example, if two prisoners are fighting, I understand about like immediately separating them and putting them in isolation until you figured it out. But that's a process that just takes hours. We have people, Americans and and non-Americans, languishing in solitary for weeks or months at a time, weeks or months at a time. And this is what came to light. In the subcommittee hearing yesterday, chaired by um, Andy Biggs, we want to thank him. Matt Gates specifically called out the situation of John Strand, you know, creative director of America's Frontline Doctors, also Owen Schroyer. Both of them actually, uh, they didn't, I don't believe, know each other, but they independently each had done an interview while in prison, and they both got thrown into isolation for that reason. Um, I understand that Owen Schroyer has been there for a few weeks already. We know that John Strand has been in a total of about two and a half months in isolation, which is absolutely outrageous. So Matt Gates, to bring it to the attention, we are praying for all people, not just J6 prisoners, but all prisoners at the Bureau of Prison um, is abusing in this way.
1: Why do you think that they're allowed to get away with us? Right,
0: they're allowed to get away with it because no one is forcing them to do the right thing. So Congress, the, the Bureau of Prison really operates very autonomously. It comes under the Department of Justice, but it really just is its own kind of entity in a, in a way that we Americans have no experience I, honestly it was like being in communist China there was no recourse there was no um re- appealing there was no managerial person above the person who's essentially torturing you mm-hmm. so um they get away with it because nobody's forcing them to not get away with it
1: I mean because here's the thing we know that congressmen and women have petitioned for better treatment of these yes. j6ers and it seems like not only does it not work but it it makes the situation worse for them in some cases um which is mind-boggling when you think about it if a congress if a man or woman in congress can't affect change yes. it makes you wonder what is happening at at the very top level there
0: right so The person who was testifying yesterday uh, or the other day in this hearing was actually director of the BOP, Colette Peters. And, you know, she seemed kind of unaware of a lot of these things. I mean, it was pretty surprising I have to say. And I also just want to put a plea out there. This is absolutely not a right left issue conservative liberal. If anything, I think conservatives should be more passionate on this issue. This is a human rights issue. There was a representative with whom I don't think I agree on any issues other than this, but, um, her last name is Bush, and she's from, um, I'm sorry, I forget which to say, but in the Midwest. And she um, was passionately against the solitary confinement of prisoners. And I really ask Representative Bush to work with Representative Gates. It might be the only issue they ever work on together, but they should mm-hmm. be working together to, to curtail the BOP's abuse of, of all prisoners.
1: Yeah. I mean, these are American rights. This yeah. isn't, yeah, exactly. Human, human rights. No, human, we be. would
0: be protesting like mad if this was happening in another nation, mm-hmm. but it's happening right here in our own borders. Mm-hmm.
1: So what's next then?
0: Well, Matt Gates has actually said he's going to do a site visit of of the prisons, which is, which is great. And, you know, but I am just leery of anything other than defunding. I mean, they're, Mm -hmm. as long as they keep getting funding, um, And they're doing the wrong thing. We have a ton of evidence that they're doing the wrong thing. In John's Mm -hmm. case, we just happen to know the case really well. He's not getting mail. And what is the purpose? What is the security risk of getting mail or the security risk of getting books? The mail has been turned back. The books have been turned back. And his legal team has not been allowed
1: to visit. I mean, these are are basic rights that every single person should have. To deny somebody all, all amount of communication. I understand if you're in solitary for a reason, you misbehaved inappropriately or whatever it was, but... For somebody who is gentle and, and um, follows orders and is not yeah. disrespectful or disruptive, like in John Strand's case, it's uh, beyond. I, the only thing I can think of, it's it's targeted because he is a J6-er and there's this disdain and disgust for J6-ers right. among many.
0: Right. But they still, so it's very obvious it's because he and the others are J6-ers, but They need to follow the rules. There are very specific rules about when you go into isolation. Remember, I served sixty days. I saw two Mm -hmm. separate times where they put two groups of women into isolation. And it's because there was a physical problem that was really a potential security risk, you know, at that moment. So they had to kind of separate the women and put them in isolation until they sorted it out. In those cases, I still think they were in for a long time. They were each in for seven days, which I think is a very long time. But but there was an actual basis for it. So when you go to the BOP.gov website and you see the reasons for being in isolation, you can't just be put into isolation for nothing. In John's case, he did a media interview ostensibly without permission. Well, the appropriate punishment from the BOP was to withhold his email or his phone calls, not to put him in isolation. And then you put him in isolation for weeks and weeks at a time. This is this is not even yeah. consistent with the BOP's own rules. And normally rules. when
1: you're in isolation you're still allowed to receive your mail, correct? Of
0: course I got I was they put um, women who were incoming when I went in in the summer of 22 for quote unquote COVID policies. Mm-hmm. They put just the women in
1: isolation and of course I got mail. The mainstream media is not doing their job to alert people about any of this. These are things that we've had to hear from people like James O'Keefe and Project Veritas exposing how the FBI had all kinds of symbols and, and different labels as domestic terrorists for people who uh, were simply patriotic, just yes. love their country, or were former former military We would not know about any of those things had it not been for independent journalism and other organizations sounding the alarm, which is why America's frontline doctors is so important to America because we continue to fight on the front lines, um, Legally, and also for your medical freedoms as well. Right, right,
0: and it's, and people like Dinesh are very important because of that reason for pop culture for getting it out in a movie format, which is you know enjoyable to watch and to see. And it really opens people's eyes. You know, I just want to say, as I always do, that everyone has to fight tyranny in their daily life. And I think just hearing these stories can help give you courage to fight because you might not want to stand up, but if you remember that this can come to you, like this kind of severity can come to you. And now you have an opportunity to do something about it. That's, that's what I think these stories are for. That's why I share my story.
1: Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. It's to inspire courage because yeah. if we don't have that, then we will turn into a complete tyrannical state. But we do have some time left, and hopefully we can encourage you to be bold and brave. Um, we're gonna play the trailer for you of the police state film.
2: Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no nut breach. We
0: want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual
2: impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state?
3: government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. I've never seen anything like it. It may be the Russia other people grew up in, but not my
1: America.
2: FBI warrant, come to the door now.
1: There's a heavy banging at my door. Open up. It's 15 marked units on
2: my property. I got SWAT in the back of my house. It took a battering ram to my door.
0: 6 a.m. I hear boom, boom, boom. And hear about six to eight military style Soldiers, with the tallest
1: one of them pointing an automatic rifle at my head. FBI, we have an arrest warrant! Shock you out of sleep, drag you out of your house, have clothes, refuse to give
0: you a warrant, ransack your house. Now I'm facing 15 years in federal prison
1: for doing nothing other than exercising my right to free speech.
3: I had no reason to be attacked.
1: I hope that you remember Matt's name and the role you played
2: in killing him. How did we give the state this kind of power?
3: 9-11 changed everything. We're going to expand the bureau from law enforcement to domestic
1: intelligence.
3: Legal shackles are now off. It used to be Islamic terrorism. That threat has kind of dissipated. Our focus is shifting. They're moving to domestic extremists. Really paints anybody who's right of center. What we need is a person to look at and then we go find out what crime you did. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. The demand for domestic terrorism vastly outstrips the supply. When candidate Trump came down the escalators, the government had a meltdown.
2: We are going to
1: drain the swamp.
3: We'll see about that. You take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you.
1: The Patriot
2: Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. Google literally rewrote
3: their news algorithm based upon what Trump was doing so they could get this guy. You just take out the word Russiagate and you put in COVID origins. You take out COVID origins and you put in Hunter Biden's laptop. You take that out and you put in January 6th. It's the replicated play from the deep state and their partners in the media. They're not just deplatforming you. They are trying to throw people in prison. If they're coming for me, they're coming for you. Hands
1: on your head!
0: These are anti-government. We are
1: freedom of religion and freedom of speech!
0: Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want.
1: Police State. Exclusively in theaters October 23rd and 25th. Tickets sold only on policestatefilm.net.
0: I'm so happy to have um, movie film director Dinesh D'Souza with us today. I will say that Dinesh is actually a bit of a hero of mine. I first learned of him when I watched Hillary's America. I'm not sure exactly when that was. Was that i 19- I'm not sure exactly. You'll tell me. But it was, in a way, it was a very eye-opening movie for me to see. I, I just feel like it really brought the issues uh, to the forefront in a in a really deep way. And I really I think I've watched all of your movies ever since, Dinesh. So I'd like to welcome to the show Dinesh D'Souza.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, Hillary's America was uh, 2016. That's the year that movie came out uh, when Hillary was running against Trump.
0: Right. That of course would make sense. I've lost mm-hmm. track of time over the last few years.
1: There's been a lot going on. There's been a lot going on.
0: So <laughs> wonderful. And I'm of course here today, you know, with April, my co-host. So, so Dinesh, what have you been up to with this latest movie? Let's let's hear all about it.
2: Well, this movie is a disturbing film. It's called Police State. The website is Policestatefilm.net. And it raises the disquieting question of whether we are ceasing to be a free society. I mean, this is the way I've thought of America since I came here as a teenager, a whole generation and a half ago. And uh, I'm so used to thinking of uh, American exceptionalism, qualities that are unique to America. And... um, And I've written books called things like, What's So Great About America? And yet here we are uh, in the um, last few years, we have seen a rapid escalation in the Biden years, and all our basic liberties one by one have now come under threat. I mean, you just have to go through the Bill of Rights. I don't think a single right in there is now completely safe. Right to free speech? No. Right to religious um, liberty or conscience? No. Right to assemble? No. Right to petition the government for grievances? No. Equal rights and equal justice under the law? No. So this is a um, this raises the startling question of how far are we from being a full fledged police state like North Korea or China, Iran, the old Soviet Union?
0: So. I you know it's funny I I watched this film with just um and you know it was just it was really personal to me as you know I I was just like a lot of the people you interviewed I had the SWAT team break down my door um with a batting ram I had 20 officers on me you know huge weapons pointed right at my chest with the you know the laser light it's a miracle I guess that they didn't shoot um and then also I got to see our federal government our federal prisons firsthand from the inside I I I I'd like to just mention that to you. You know, the, the prisoners right now that are inside are being so mistreated. Like, I, I can't believe it's America. I know that you spent some time in prison yourself. It was different than mine. But, for example, these J6 prisoners who were being held in solitary confinement. I mean, it just seems so un-American.
2: It, it is. I mean, solitary confinement is, um, is a form of torture. There's no other way to describe it because the sheer sense of isolation. I mean, human beings are social animals. To put you in a, in a room with, let's say, one hour of time out out of 24, this is just abuse. Now, you might say that there are certain extreme circumstances. We have, you know, a Al-Qaeda terrorist, somebody who has gone, a serial killer who is on death row. OK, we don't need to argue about that. We're talking about people who are put into solitary confinement when they haven't even been tried. They haven't even been convicted of anything. Uh, or just as a form of retribution by the guards because there was an article about them or because Matt Gates or Marjorie Taylor Greene came to inspect the prison and they take it out on the prisoners. So I regret to say that I think that we have political prisoners in this country today and um and we are a long way you know i'm so reluctant given my background as an immigrant if someone were to say you know is america still a free society i'm very reluctant to say no but i cannot with a good conscience say yes
1: you know when i was watching the film uh dinesh i was really happy to see my two friends uh steve friend fbi whistleblower and also kyle Serafin, that gave their perspective what was it like working with them for this film and speaking to them?
2: They're a very interesting duo they Their personalities are in a way opposites, and they they kind of go well together. Steve is very measured and kind of clinical. Kyle is flamboyant, a little bit over the top. uh We hired both of them also as consultants because I wanted to have uh vividly accurate recreations of f b i raids. Uh, we have some of those that are shown with dashcam footage and surveillance footage, but in some cases, we someone would describe what happened to them, and then we recreated the incident. But well, I wanted to do it with such accuracy that if people who are from Homeland Security or the FBI uh, or the DOJ saw this film, they would go, "Wow, that's that's exactly how that would have gone down." So Kyle and Steve really helped us get uh, some of our cinematography. Uh, to be uh, 100% on target.
1: Yeah, you nailed their personalities perfectly. <laughs> That's exactly right. I, You know, I, I just want
0: to share with you that, you know, when after my period was over, I, I started doing a little investigating, just so all of viewers know, there are rules and, and protocols that the FBI is supposed to follow when to use a SWAT team. In other words, We Americans are used to sitting back and saying, oh, you know, if there's a SWAT team raid, it must be justified. And I don't think we live in that time anymore, because when you look at the rules for when a SWAT team should be deployed, it never should have been deployed against me. No criminal history, no violent history, no allegation of violence, no weaponry, right? So they have rules. So I'd love your opinion on that. Like, I no longer think we're the greatest country I think we have the potential to be the greatest country but when I saw the rules when you bring in SWAT team and then I saw the reality of when they actually are bringing in SWAT teams I feel you know relatively hopeless
2: I mean there are there are no rules with these guys they're thugs with badges I think the sooner we come to terms with that the better it is they've also figured out and this is a question I try to solve in the movie They figured out a way to get good people to do bad things. And this Mm -hmm. is really important because not every FBI agent is like a super villain. Some of these guys are just, you know, ordinary guys with the wife and three kids Mm -hmm. and a mortgage. So you have to ask what would convince a guy like that, Simone, you know, to go into a grandmother's apartment who's 70 years old and pull her hair and drag her to the ground and twist her frail arms behind her back and put her in handcuffs and drag her down the stairs if she's resistant and pull her into the street where her neighbors can gawk at her and by the way, helpfully tip off CNN so that the cameras can be there to humiliate her even. How, how do you get a decent person to do something so indecent? <coughs> this is the kind of question I wrestle with uh, in this film. And, uh, and yes, I think that, you know, when you think of a pro-lifer like Mark Hauck, who takes his son to a, you know, to one of these abortion clinics, he wants to be an abortion counselor. Uh, Now, one of the guys from the clinics comes out uh, and starts yelling at him, yelling at his son. They get into kind of a shouting match. He pushes the guy. The guy falls back, but nothing happens to him. He then goes in the building. And then the cases drop, nothing happens. And then suddenly the FBI raids. So think about it. You've got a law abiding citizen, no prior history. There's a minor altercation. Nobody's hurt. And yet you've got SWAT teams, you've got massive artillery, vans, armored vehicles, bulletproof vests. So this is nothing more than a kind of absolute intimidation tactic, terrifying tactic. This is intended to to break people's spirits and ruin their families. And all of this stuff is going on in America. It's not just happening to Trump. It's not even just happening to the January 6th political prisoners. It's also happening to a lot of moms who are involved in their children's education. And as I mentioned in the case of the pro-life activists, traditionalist Catholics, people who are kind of just living their ordinary life and then they come face to face with what Orwell calls the boot stamping on the human face.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so glad. So, so the purpose of doing shows like this is to kind of wake people up to the potential tyranny or their com- potential complicity in their own life. When I was arrested, I never told you this, but uh, there were you know a lot of agents around, and I engaged in conversation with the two that were driving with me because that were driving me as I was handcuffed and shackled, and wh- one was very young. I won't repeat his name, but I I started talking with him. And I said, is this really what you went into the academy to do? You know, he could tell, like, I could tell he was shocked by all of this. You know, he, he breaks in and it's basically a two bedroom condo with books everywhere. And I'm working so clearly over the top. And I was trying to appeal to him. That's what I'm trying to appeal to everybody, right? Do not be complicit in your own life. You're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're a police officer, you're a teacher, you're the the clerk at Trader Joe's. Do not be complicit with something you see wrong in your own life because it's, it is, Requiring normal, ordinary people to act in a kind of an evil way, and everyone needs to, 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 you know, I'm a daughter of a Holocaust survivor. This is, this is how it goes. Yeah.
2: You know, Simone, so. I think that this is really why I make the movies because the I feel like a lot of Americans are like the antelope or the wildebeest that's grazing placidly, not recognizing that there's a predator in the trees, and there is a peculiar power in film which is to say that, you know, let's say, for example, I were to tell you guys, you know, I grew up in India and this is what it was like. And this is what my family was like. You would know about me and you would know about India, but you'd have very little sense of what it was really like. But on the other hand, if I were to take you there and show you, and this was my home and there's my mom and that's my brother and that's the little school I used to go to, it'll give you a whole different picture because you see it, you feel it, you experience it. And this is really what a movie can do. So the purpose of making this film Police State is to cinematically, not only intellectually, but also emotionally, bring it home to people in a very unique way that films can do. And that's the power of it. I mean, if you this movie opened to packed theaters, the emotional reaction in the theater to the movie was really something to behold. And again, even in Mar-a-Lago, we had a red carpet premiere. Everybody was festively dressed up and so on. But they were emotionally wrenched by the movie once the once the end credits began to roll.
0: You know, I'm looking one day. Uh, I, I'm just looking for our side to have that. You know, that kind of Hollywood version. Just on our side. I mean, there there are good films out there. There are good filmmakers like yourself. So I just hope that this just continues. You know. So
1: I have. I do have one last question. I'd love to ask you. Tell me about Dan Bongino's role in this film. Was he giving perspective from what he? experienced in his in his life previously as he was part of Secret Service or
2: yeah I wanted to I wanted to team up with a guy who had some kind of working knowledge of the police state and I say this because a lot of people make general remarks about the police they'll say things like it's a deep state and I say well, what do you mean by that they go well it's it's just all hidden it's all behind the scenes well you know some of it is but a lot of it is not. Uh, a lot of censorship is out in the open. Go read the Facebook guidelines, go read the YouTube guidelines. They tell you that these are the 12 topics that you can't address, at least you can't address in a certain way. And so uh, what I do in this film is I bring a number of um, whistleblowers, informants, people who have sort of who are familiar with the genealogy, the history, and the architecture of this police state? Now, Dan is a former NYPD officer, a former Secret Service agent. He's also kind of a fearless guy, and so I thought it'd be really good to team up with him for this. Uh, It'll—he'll give me particular insights. Uh, I also tend to be a little bit more on the kind of intellectual, a wonky side. Dan is sort of the tell it like it is. He's—he's he's sort of a likes the emotional narrative, and I thought the two of us come kind of the combining our forces would be really effective. And then also Dan has a huge platform as I do. And I thought, you know, a film, there's gonna be all kinds of ways to block our film. Right now, Walmart won't sell our DVDs, neither will Amazon. So normal places where my earlier films have been sold are now closed off to me. And so, it's really important to be able to get the word out effectively. I mean, these projects are simply not viable if I can't figure out how to do that. So I thought on all these different fronts, Dan would be a valuable ally, and he has proven to be so.
0: Dinesh, I think we're just at the beginning of a parallel economy, you know? So it'll get there. It'll get there. I think there's enough there's enough momentum. You're in the film space. I'm in the health space and in the public advocacy space. So we just will keep building it, and it, it will get there, especially with these alliances.
2: No, that makes a lot of sense. And these days it's the website, you know, it's police statefilm.net That's where you can figure out different ways to stream the movie and also order DVDs. They're, they're kind of good to stock up on for with Christmas coming up. Uh, this is a movie. If you send it to somebody else, they'll be, they'll be grateful that you did.
0: Police statefilm.net Don't miss it. I never miss any of Dinesh's movies. I can't endorse them highly enough. And you know, you had a good point about the DVD, you know, there is a fear that virtual online things can just disappear. So it's always nice to have a hard copy of a book or a movie, et cetera.
1: Thank you so much, Dinesh, for joining us today. Appreciate you.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Well, it was great talking with Dinesh. And it's time to uh, unveil this week's Deadly Disinformation Dozen, number seven. Right now, Dr. Gold, we are going to be talking about Stefan Bancel. He was the Moderna CEO. He is currently the Moderna CEO. Yes. The White House pointed to an aggressive online misinformation effort by a handful of bad actors. Misinformation on social media is
0: killing people. It is the CEO of Moderna Stefan Bancel?
1: Uh,
3: when you think about it, in January 2020, we had 800 people. Never run a phase free, Never launched a product. And the year that the team has achieved and the financial uh, performance are really incredible.
2: Is there a high incidence of myocarditis among adolescent males, 16 to 24, after taking your vaccine?
3: The data I've shown, actually, I've seen, sorry, from the CDC, actually shown that there is less myocarditis for people who get the vaccine versus who get COVID infection. That is
2: not true. And I'd like to enter into the record six peer-reviewed papers from the Journal of Vaccine, the Annals of Medicine that say the complete opposite of what you say. I also spoke with your president just last week, and he readily acknowledged in private that, yes, there is an increased risk of my The fact that you can't say it in public is quite disturbing. Uh,
0: Let me ask you what the Daily Mail is reporting. It says more evidence COVID was tinkered with in a lab. Now scientists find the virus contains a tiny chunk of DNA that matches sequence patented by Moderna three years before the pandemic began. What can you tell us?
3: You know, human makes mistakes. So uh, is it possible that the uh, Wuhan lab in China was working On uh, viruses uh, enhancement or gene modification, it is possible. So, uh, is it possible that the Wuhan lab in China was working on uh, viruses uh, enhancement or gene modification? It is possible.
1: I mean, I mean, I was struck by
0: the line. It matched a genetic sequence patented by. you know, like, like Dinesh says, there's nothing like seeing a video to really hit home. I mean, can you believe all that? I mean, it's not about the money. I don't think so. Yeah. It is all about the money. So be
1: forewarned. Bansell is originally from Marseille, France, but currently resides in Boston, Massachusetts. And I think that's all we have for the show today. We're so glad that you all joined us on The Gold Report.
0: Please share, like, subscribe. Um, We do this for you so you can be informed. One set of facts, true today, true tomorrow.